welcome to episode 50 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes that object so interesting to astronomers. So, I will now run the random number generator. The random number generator has returned the coordinates of 0 hours, 20 minutes, 23.2 seconds right ascension, and plus 59 degrees, 17 minutes, 35 seconds declination. These coordinates point to an object called IC10. That's the letter I, the letter C, and the number 10, and not the sentence I see 10, as in I am viewing 10 of something, or the adjective icy, as in covered in frozen water, followed by the number 10. IC10 is a dwarf irregular galaxy in the constellation Cassiopeia that was discovered in the year 1887 by Lewis Swift. From Earth, it is seen through the Milky Way's disk, which means that when astronomers want to look at IC10, they have to look through all of the interstellar gas and dust and other garbage in the plane of our galaxy. The interstellar dust in particular creates a lot of problems. It functions in a way like smoke in that it can obscure other objects, including IC10. This makes it challenging to study the galaxy, but astronomers are still very interested in it nonetheless. One of the reasons why astronomers are so interested in this galaxy is because it is within the local group, which is the gravitationally bound group of galaxies that includes our galaxy. It's actually quite close in astronomy terms. It's located at only a distance of 2.4 million light years, or 740 kiloparsecs. Now, the local group contains a lot of dwarf galaxies. The Milky Way, the Andromeda Galaxy, and Messier 33, also called the Triangulum Galaxy, are the only three spiral galaxies within the group. Everything else is small and is primarily influenced by the gravity of the bigger spiral galaxies. What makes IC10 stand out in particular is that it is considered to be the only starburst galaxy within the local group. At this point, it's worth discussing what a starburst is, and I will not be making any jokes about the chewy fruit-flavored candies, in large part because this is not a commercially sponsored podcast about food. Although it would almost be cool to have an astronomy podcast sponsored by the Mars Corporation. Anyway, in astronomy, a starburst is a galaxy that is forming stars at an abnormally high rate. These rates are usually measured in terms of the total amount of mass of interstellar gas, usually described in terms of the mass of the Sun, that is converted into stars within a year. For IC10, the star formation rate is between 0.05 and 0.2 solar masses per year. This is not to say that every 5 to 20 years, astronomers will be able to see a new star within the galaxy, and that's because it could take an individual star somewhere between hundreds of thousands to tens of millions of years to form out of an interstellar gas cloud. However, if you wait 10 million years or so, 
you should be able to see somewhere between 50,000 and 200,000 new stars within IC10. So, if IC10 has a star formation rate between 0.05 and 0.2 solar masses per year, it might sound like it's going to create a lot of new stars if we give it enough time. However, this star formation rate is actually kind of dinky. For comparison, the Milky Way galaxy has a star formation rate of 1.65 solar masses per year, which is roughly 8 to 30 times higher than the star formation rate in IC10. Despite this, astronomers still think that IC10 is forming stars at a really high rate, but to understand why, we need to put these star formation rates into perspective. So, while the Milky Way has a mass that is 1.5 trillion times the mass of the Sun, IC10 only has a mass that is 1.7 billion times the mass of the Sun. That's a difference in mass, or a difference in the number of stars, of a factor of a thousand. However, despite the fact that IC10 is 1,000 times smaller than the Milky Way, it's forming stars at a rate that is only roughly 20 times smaller than the Milky Way. If you divide the star formation rate by the total mass of each galaxy, you would find that IC10 is producing stars about 50 times more efficiently than our galaxy. So, IC10 is small, but really good at forming stars. As a result of this, the stellar population in IC10 tends to look younger than the stellar population in the typical galaxy. Since big bright blue stars have relatively short lifespans of only a few million years or so, while sun-like stars and red dwarfs have lifespans of billions of years or more, places where stars have formed recently tend to have a relatively high number of blue stars. This means that IC10 looks kind of bluish. In fact, IC10 is often referred to as the closest example of a class of galaxies called blue compact dwarfs, which, as the name indicates, are small, are compact, and look blue. Like IC10, other blue compact dwarf galaxies are also forming stars at a very high rate, once you take their sizes into account, of course. One of the consequences of this is that IC10 contains a relatively high number of wolf ray stars. These are really massive stars between 10 to 25 times the mass of the Sun that form out of short-lived blue stars like the ones in IC10. Before these stars became wolf ray stars, they would have initially fused hydrogen into helium in their cores for a few million years, but when they ran out of hydrogen in their cores, they started to fuse helium into carbon instead with the fusion of hydrogen into helium continuing in shells around their cores. When all of the helium in the star's cores got used up, they started to fuse the carbon in their cores into heavier elements, with the fusion of helium into carbon continuing in shells around the cores, and the fusion of hydrogen to helium continuing in shells around that. All of this intense fusion makes the stars really hot and really blue, and they will eventually blow away their outer layers of hydrogen gas. When stars reach this stage, they are considered to be Wolf-Ray stars. So as I said before, IC10 is forming stars at an abnormally high rate for its size, so a relatively high percentage of its stars are the types of big blue stars that become Wolf-Ray stars. When the cores of these Wolf-Ray stars eventually fill up with iron, which can't be fused to make energy, then the stars will first implode and then explode as supernovae. As far as I can tell, no supernovae have been observed in IC10, but that may be because supernovae would appear about once every 500 years in this galaxy. 
Nonetheless, it is possible to see bubbles in the interstellar gas formed by old supernovae explosions in this galaxy. One of the final freaky things about the Wolf Ray stars in IC10 is that one of them appears to be in orbit around a black hole about 10 to 15 times the mass of the Sun. This abnormal binary star system is called IC10X1, where the X indicates that this is an X-ray source and the 1 indicates that it is the brightest X-ray source in the galaxy. In a lot of situations where astronomers see a star closely orbiting a black hole, the black hole is close enough to gravitationally strip away the outer layers of gas from the other star, with the gas falling into the black hole getting very hot from gravitational compression and producing really strong X-ray emission. IC10X1, however, contains a black hole orbiting a Wolf-Ray star that is already conveniently blowing away its outer gas layers, so the black hole doesn't need to do any work stripping these layers of gas off the star. Instead, the black hole can just kick back and relax and wait for the gas to fall into it, and this infalling gas will still get hot and still produce lots of X-ray emission. So that's my summary of IC10. And the location on the Earth's surface that corresponds to the position of IC10 in the sky is just offshore of the island of Karme in Norway. Karme, which is located across the Bakna Fjord from Stavange, is one of the largest islands in southwestern Norway and has a population of about 41,000 people. One of the most notable locations on this island is the village of Viznes, which had copper mines that operated from 1865 to 1972. These mines were among the largest North European copper mines in the late 19th century, and some historical evidence even indicates that it supplied the copper used to create the Statue of Liberty in New York. If you enjoy podcasts that obliquely associate chewy confectionery with 19th century statues, you can visit the website for this podcast at www.randomastronomicalobject.com where you can download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, and look up additional reference information. I also received some more listener feedback. Tamara has written in to say, Hey George, I love the podcast. It's very interesting and very random. I've been binging it since I discovered it. Keep it up and thanks for your work. Well, thanks for that, Tamara, and if anybody else wants to send me feedback, they can do so on my website, on Facebook, or on Twitter. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de, which is distributed by filmmusic.io, and the sound effects are from the Freesounds project at www.freesounds.org. As this podcast has now reached the 50th episode, I wanted to support the websites where I get my other audio content. So I have now paid for the extended license for the intro and outro music, and I have also submitted a donation to the Freesound Project. If you need either free music or free sound effects for any of your audio-related projects, I would recommend both of these websites. Thanks for listening. 